you're tuned into Sound Science, a show for science curious music lovers every first Monday of every month, and I'm your host, Dr. Wande Pierce. Last month, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. David Bashwinner, who is Associate Professor of Music Theory at the University of New Mexico. We talked about music and emotion and got into the philosophical and evolutionary psychology, fueling the debate over whether music has or had some sort of biological purpose linked to emotion. As you can imagine, we had a lot to unpack. So this episode, Music, Emotion and Fish, actually turned into a two-parter. If you missed last month, I urge you to go back and listen because on this month's show, we're going to dive right back in just at the point when we were getting to the nitty gritty of his work on the midshipman toadfish, which how do you not listen to last month's show might seem a little bit random. Um, But honestly, the midshipman toadfish is a fascinating creature and we'll be talking about what it can teach us about musical desire in humans. So stay tuned for the rest of that interview after more fish appropriate tunes. Nothing more refreshing than having a clear, crisp, clean glass of water on a warm summer's day. That cool, refreshing drink. Try it with your friends. New world water make the tide rise high. Come in, land, and make your house go by. Fools done upset the old man river. Made him carry slave ships and fed him dead niggas. Now his belly full and he about to flood something. So I'm throwing rope that ain't tied to nothing. Tell your crew who's the H2 and watch the Mostef, New World Order, and NERD, Life is a Fish. So to recap, I'd ask Dr. David Bashwinner to explain the ongoing debate in music theory as to whether music has some sort of evolutionary significance by impacting our ability to pass on our genes. We then talked about the motivation behind his research on the midshipman toadfish and what is so special about it. We landed on the drive behind his research which is all about wanting to understand the response of the listener to sound and their appreciation of music. So here we are. Right, got it. So I'm just going to rephrase that then for myself because, yeah, absolutely the focus and what is interesting is, you know, how does a midshipman toadfish serve as a model for us to understand our emotional responses to music? So that's what's really interesting about the paper. It's about how the fish has developed the ability to make these sounds, which has a lot of homology in terms of the nuclei in the brain of humans, which is really interesting. But it's really about how the female midshipman responds to this sound, so is a kind of a proxy for emotion. I'm actually going to read a quote from your paper, which will sort of lead into the question that you're really trying to address in that paper. I find it hard to reason that a female midshipman, upon hearing a hum vocalisation, knows that what she is hearing is a hum and associates this hum with a male midshipman. 
logically concluding that if she has eggs in her belly ready to be laid, a safe bet will be to lay them in a place where this male will find them, fertilize them and take care of them. More likely, I believe, is that she simply feels an urge which cannot be explained and need not be explained by any manner of thought process. I really like that part of the paper because then we can start to understand why this midshipman is an interesting subject because, like you're saying, it's about the response to this humming. Um, and then just to go back to what I was saying about the vocalizations, if we're thinking about our response to music in general, I guess we then have to focus in on our response to singing to make that comparison because obviously a midshipman doesn't create music you know through other means it does it if we're going to call it music through those vocalization processes which is how we can say that this is not just sounds it's something comparable to humans sort of singing is that right am i on the right track yeah um, <laughs> okay exactly so you want to know why a certain human you know responds in a certain way to the, the adagio for strings by barber there's so many complex answers that could be given and you would never get down to the level of saying well it's just like some sort of urge that takes over that makes makes him want to go to his stereo and turn on samuel barber's adagio for strings right mm -hmm. you would never say that you would always say well he's associating the barber with the 9-11 he's thinking about 9-11 because today is you know, we're not in the month of September, but maybe he was thinking about September for some reason. Whatever, you would come up with all kinds of logical scenarios before you would ever get say, well, maybe it's just an urge. But with a fish, the male sings the hum tone, and then the female, if she's in the right hormonal state, and it's the right time of day, and her she's got eggs in her belly, they're ready to be laid. If that's the case, she is more than likely to go swim toward the hum vocalization when she hears it. If you say why, you can't, you can't really say, oh, well, she thinks that there must be a male where the, you know, where the hum is coming from. Or that she has logically deduced that if he's humming, he therefore is probably built a nest and that's going to be a good place for her eggs, right? None of that stuff makes sense when you're talking about a fish. It only makes sense to say there's a kind of urge. And then if you want to try to model that urge, this was ultimately my goal, basically mm -hmm. to think of the midshipman fish as a kind of machine, then try to get into the mechanics. How does hearing a sound, hearing the hum vocalization, how does that trigger a response in the female that makes her want to swim toward the male, find them and lay her eggs in, in the nest that he's built? I said, this was my goal, and I actually thought it would be kind of a quick thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it would take, you know, I'm sure, you know, a couple weeks, maybe a month. I did not think it would take my whole sabbatical for the most part. So I at first thought, okay, I'll see if I can understand what's going on in her auditory system. What kind of frequencies does she hear? How does the auditory system go from sort of representing the frequencies, you know, like co-resonating with them? If it's a hundred hertz tone, she has to have some neurons that are be able to fire at hundred hertz. And then somewhere else in the brain that's gonna be able to detect the, the hundred hertz frequencies, right? So some sort of representation mechanism and some detection categorical perception where it recognizes oh if those nine neurons are firing for a certain amount of time at 100 times a second therefore we are hearing a hum tone and if the hormonal state is right pass this hum tone message onto the motor apparatus and turn on swimming so i thought i'd have to understand figure out what's going on in the auditory system and then figure out how it connects up with the, the swimming apparatus but 
once I started doing this, I realized, oh, <laughs> it's more complex than that. <laughs> in at least one way, maybe two ways. So with the one main way is like, how do you model in a mechanical sense, how do you make sense of her motivation? It's not the case that the auditory system directly connects to the motor system because, first of all, it has to be during the breeding season. In it, also, she has to have not already laid all her eggs. She has to have her eggs sort of ready. Those things are variables that make it clear at least that the auditory system doesn't directly connect with the motor system. I mean, if you talked about the startle response, you play a loud sound and, and someone cringes, that is a direct connection of auditory and motor systems, right? So this is this is something that's not that it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing that's it's more subtle, but it's there, is that if you play so you put a speaker underwater and you play have it play back the hum tone, and a female will swim toward the speaker when he hears the hum. But then she's like, hey, where's the male? She keeps like looking behind the speaker and under it and going around it and she keeps trying to figure out, hey, where is this guy? Where is he? I can't find him. So she does all these problem-solving behaviors to try to localize where the fish, where the hum's tone is coming from, which suggests that there's not just a turning on of swimming behavior. There is a turning on of a motivation to find the source of the hum. Okay. So auditory system doesn't connect directly to the motor system. It goes, there's got to be a motivational element, and then there's also a problem-solving cognitive motor So it ended up being really complex, but so interesting. It ended up giving me, I thought I would do like a really superficial comparison of the fish system and the human system, but it ended up being that just about all the, the parts of the brain in the human that are interesting and relevant to human music, all of those are used in the midshipman as well. So yeah. I can explain these three systems to you. So it's the auditory system, which does the two things I was just saying it did. It has to be able to represent the sound by like co-resonating with it. And then also it has to detect it, have a categorical perception for the hum versus the growl and the grunt, for instance. So then the second system is this motivational system. And the motivational system has to somehow give different responses to the hum tone when it's in the breeding season versus the non-breeding season, the winter. Mm -hmm. And then the third element is the cognitive slash motor interface, the problem-solving apparatus that once the female decides, okay, she's going after this hum, it then has to turn on swimming, but guide the swimming in such a way uh, that, that she can, you know, really pursue the goal that she wants. So to figure out those things, the... It, it, are able to figure out that the motivation aspect comes from estrogen levels. So the bunch of different papers and different animals, not always the fish, but you can you can remove the ovaries, say, and estrogen decreases, and then the female's response to the hum will go away. And if you inject estrogen in these same animals, they'll now respond to the hum again. So you could say, hey, is that because the estrogen is affecting the auditory system or is it because it's affecting her motivation? And interestingly, it affects both. So estrogen receptors are in the, the, the ear itself, in the, in the saccular epithelium. Those estrogen receptors do increase the sensitivity of hair cells in the ear. So they really do change hearing. They make the female able to hear from a lot higher frequencies, all the way up to about 400 hertz, maybe even higher. So she gets to hear the upper resonances of that tone, and that helps her do some location tracking, and it also probably helps because these fish are in shallow water, and uh, lower frequencies don't, don't 
can't communicate as well in shallow water as higher ones do. And then if you look at all across the auditory system, many of those regions are responsive to estrogen, have receptors for estrogen. So presumably estrogen is affecting the functioning of just the auditory region. But if it were just that, be like, okay, that's, that's not that interesting. Estrogen changes the hearing of the midshipmen, so cool. But you know that changes motivation, or you know that motivation is changed as well because you have this difference between the female, the uh, female during the breeding season before she's laid her eggs and afterward. So the day after she lays her eggs, she's no longer responsive to the home tilt, but her estrogen levels are all exactly the same. So something goes in there and changes the way her operating system is functioning. Mm -hmm. And I really like to think of this as being a set of different virtual machines. So let's say you have a Macintosh computer, but you want to use a program that works only on a PC. You can turn your Mac into a virtual PC to run that program, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have a synthesizer, and that synthesizer, you run one program that makes it sound like it is a violin when you press a key. And you run a different program that makes it sound like it's a snare drum or a bass drum or something like that. The synth can become different virtual instruments. Um, so it responds to the same stimulus in, in very different ways. And so I've been thinking about the, the female during the breeding season versus the female during the winter as being two different virtual machines. So estrogen comes in and neurons throughout the brain in a bunch of different areas, at least like six very important regions called, in, called the social behavior network. Mm -hmm. And it goes and it changes their functioning all at once so that the operating system she's running goes from a winter system where she doesn't respond to them and it changes that over to this breeding virtual machine system where she is responsive to the home. Ah, okay. Wow. So, and, <laughs> I know, it's cool. We'll be back with more after this. Schoolboy Q uh, featuring Little Baby Water and Masego Shorty Fishing in parentheses Blame the Net. And the last part of this is is that motor and cognitive behavior system. Because you might be saying, what is it that 
Okay, estrogen goes and changes those things, but what is it changing? You know, I've said so far that it, it does affect the auditory system, but that is not really sufficient yet. What turns out to be, you know, this is truly fascinating. This is from work by Paul Fortellano, uh, also I believe Joseph Cisneros. So the estrogen system interfaces with the dopamine system. We know that dopamine is really involved in human responses to human emotional responses to music. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you recorded it on it in an earlier podcast, but there's some work done in Robert Scatori's lab at McGill and with Valerie Salampour, who was his graduate student in these papers, assuming that dopamine was really involved in music liking, but I believe was the first person to demonstrate that it's clearly dopamine binding does increase in the basal ganglia when people listen to music that they like. Fish have a dopamine system that's, that's very similar to ours, and you can go in the fish and you can look at all the regions of the brain that have dopamine receptors, and in the same way that you can look for regions of the brain that have estrogen receptors. And a lot of those regions overlap, and a lot of those regions also are responsive to sounds. So it turns out that estrogen system, this is at least the, the hypothesis, the system would be like this. The hypothalamus detects the light-dark cycles of the year and knows when you're in the breeding season or not, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe also by water temperature. But the hypothalamus figures out that it's breeding season. It then starts to release estrogen as a result of that. Estrogen starts to be released before the breeding season starts. Estrogen then slowly, over the course of a month or so, changes what's going on in all these subset of brain regions. It increases the numbers of cells there, it may increase the number of dendrites, it increases the you know, subset of receptors and all those things. So estrogen is going in and changing the virtual system that the female is running from the winter virtual system to the breeding virtual system. She then hears the hum tone once, her, once she's running the virtual breeding system, ready to lay her eggs. She hears the hum tone, that then gets promoted because the estrogen has sort of a turned the key and the locks that change the system, gets promoted to regions like the amygdala, the fish amygdala in the brain, and the dopamine regions and the motor system. It gets promoted to those upper regions that recognize the tone and now want to look for it because the fish equivalent of the ventral tegmental area that has dopamine cells has estrogen receptors as well, so that's now sending dopamine throughout the brain. And the dopamine facilitates the motor response to the sound of the hum. And then the very last aspect of that is that there are estrogen receptors right on the terminals of dopamine neurons. So not just does estrogen influence dopamine coming from the ventral tegmental area, but it's making even more dopamine released from the terminals at the end of those dopamine neurons where they're projected to in various parts of the brain. So the dopamine like almost literally turns on the motor response or turns on the cognitive use of the motor apparatus. And I have this section in the paper that's called to think is to act or to act is to think, something like that. You know, with humans, we often think without acting. But what this fish needs to do is she needs to swim in such a way, she needs to act, right? Mm -hmm. She needs to swim in such a way that the sound that she's listening to grows louder. And she even does this very complex thing is if there's two males singing right next to each other, she can figure out which one she wants to pursue by listening to the difference tones between them, which is complex, but it's really fascinating. 
but she just has to act in certain ways, swim in certain certain way that the sensation of the sound develops in the way that she's listening for it to sound. And dopamine, therefore, would be connected to the motor apparatus. It turns on a motivated use of the motor apparatus to make the sensory person develop in the way that uh, she wants it to. Wow, that's incredible. Start off with something light Bring in a candlelight That I put aside Sometime Tell me what you say Cause you know I got it baby I wanna call you I wanna leave it up You feel the same So I know that you exchange this I need some playboy Baby I get on my way to the midshipman fish you I mean by focusing on this particular organism you've been able to achieve the goal of on a very basic and mechanistic level being able to understand or, or uncover something resembling an emotional response to music if the emotional response is the motivation or the urge as you describe and the music is the humming. What you've described is a very complex system and we're just talking about a fish and of course there's a lot of homology with some systems in the human brain which is fascinating but what I like about your research focusing on the midshipman fish is in the midshipman fish it seems like you have this very pure system that you can study and then relate that back to the scenario in humans. So I guess my last question is It sounds like when it comes to midshipman fish, there's certainly something resembling an emotional response to music. What you have described is extremely complex and, I mean, we're only talking about the fish. So can the midshipman scenario explain what might be happening in humans when they hear music? So that is definitely the goal. So there's certain questions that that scientists just don't know the answers to right now in this particular fish, which is, I guess, you know, it's okay. They're allowed to not know the answers yet. So one of them is, for instance, like what what is the hormone or neuropeptide that causes the difference in the female response from the gravid state to the spent state? So like when she still has eggs versus the next day when she doesn't have any more eggs, what's what's the dramatic change? They don't know, and I have to read a lot about what's going on in amphibians because that they happen to know that answer better in amphibians. And then with respect to, it's called phonotaxis, moving toward the sound that you're attracted to, 
that's better understood in amphibians as well. So I ended up discovering like, oh, I guess the process that I'm doing here is I'm going to start with fish, then I'm going to move to amphibians. And then reptiles, I won't do all that much with reptiles, I'll go to birds, but I'll use birds as a kind of representative of reptiles. And then the smaller mammals like rats and mice, and then a little bit of monkey stuff, and then humans basically build up this kind of evolutionary trajectory. And I want to explain here that it doesn't mean that fish that are alive today are our ancestors, exactly. But if you go back in human evolutionary past, you know, our grandmothers, 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 grandmother, mother, grandmother, etc., you go far enough back and that person, you know, that person will have been a, a chimpanzee-like being, you know, something like halfway between a human and a chimpanzee. And then if you kept going back there, grandmother's 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 grandmother, you know, you'll get a monkey type being and a, a keep going back, a mammal type being, a reptile-like, reptiliomorph type being, um, an amphibian, uh, and a fish-like being. So we really were fish at some point. We weren't specifically midshipmen fish. When we were fish, interestingly, we didn't have an auditory system. We didn't sing in the way that these midshipmen fish do. So you can't think of the midshipmen as totally representative of us, but if you do the comparative anatomy in, in a responsible enough way, you can learn something about what the deep functions of these organs of ours were by looking across a bunch of different animals. So the one answer to the question is through building up, sort of gradually through human evolutionary history, through different representative animals today, you can ultimately get to the human situation, which is what I'm, I'm doing in the book I'm working on. But then more generally, you know, to return to the questions like sort of from the beginning about is this music, is this emotion that we're actually talking about, is this stuff relevant to the human situation? I, what I've started to find is that this is actually a fantastic way to get away from those questions. So, you know, I said conveniently before I was sort of trying to sidestep those questions <laughs> by saying, well, let's not, let's not define emotion right now. Let's not define music. Let's take an agnostic approach and see what we come up with. I now think that now learning what I've learned about midshipmen, the midshipmen emotion system and the midshipmen auditory system and the response to vocalizations and things like that, I now think that I have a better sense of what those questions mean, those terms emotion, music, quote unquote music, mean I'm sort of redefining them myself based on this understanding of what those things are in the midshipmen. So I almost think instead of asking whether what I'm talking about is emotion and music the way it's defined for humans, I'm even thinking like, oh, maybe we don't fully understand what emotion is. Maybe we don't fully understand what music is. And taking this perspective is a sort of way of actually opening up our eyes to some aspects of emotion, some layers, some richness to emotion and to music that we didn't know existed is what I'm most excited about this. David, thank you so much for being a guest on the show this month. That was absolutely fascinating. I feel like we covered so much ground and really got to more of, I think, more to the heart of what music is and what emotion is. And your research is really fascinating. And I can't wait for that paper to come out and make it available to the listeners. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed myself.
Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Wishing Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. And that was Felakuti, Water, Nougat Enemy. So that's all, folks. The show will be archived on the Dub Lab website in a few days and will be available as a podcast next week. You can listen to that on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And for show notes, you can go to www.soundsciencepodcast.com. Again, the music for this two-part episode was partially sourced by my boyfriend Brandon, so shout out to him. And again, the music playing in the background this month is from the album People's Potential Unlimited Test Pressing by Benedek. Hope you have a good week, and I'll keep you up to date via the Sound Science Podcast Instagram, which is at Sound Science Podcast, and that's it. <laughs>